Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, episode number 39 for Monday, August the 8th, 2016. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and thanks for joining me on this delightful Monday. And hey, thanks to everybody for uh, all the kind comments and, uh, and feedback you gave to Anne. As for some of you who may not know and didn't hear Saturday's podcast, uh, I had a lot of people have been asking me the last few months to have Anne on the podcast, my wife, Anne. So I thought, since it was a, kind of a lazy Saturday, I thought uh, we would take advantage of that. And we had Anne on, and she was an awesome guest. And uh, thank you, guys. You guys seem to like having her on, and I'm sure we'll have her on again sometime. And thank you for all the positive uh, feedback you guys gave. Um, the Olympics are going on right now. This is weird. I'm feeling very odd about the Olympics. I am a fan of the Olympics. Um, I, whether it's the Winter Olympics, the Summer Olympics, I, I get more excited about the Winter Olympics, obviously, because I'm Canadian and when we rule at hockey. Anyway, um, but I get really excited during the Olympic season. And for whatever reason, I have not been excited this year. I just haven't been excited this year. Um, and as a matter of – even when the uh, the opening ceremonies were happening, I was a little bit surprised because it's like, oh, really? They're starting already? Like for whatever reason, I have been kind of zoned out. When it comes to the Olympics this year, and I'm really not sure why. I don't know if it's because of all the controversy that's been going on. Like, should Brazil have gotten it? Like, is, is this, is having the Olympics in Brazil just going to bankrupt the country and they can't even afford to have clean water? How are they going to put these games on and the concerns about crime and the concerns about the Zika virus? And I don't even fully understand. So I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe the controversy about it got into my head and kind of made me tune out of the Olympic stuff. But I know this. When I'm actually sitting down, I was sitting down with my buddy Ryan the other day. And it was probably Sunday. And we popped on the TV and there was, I think, Olympic volleyball was going on. And I get excited when I see the events. But for whatever reason, I haven't been getting like all hyped up for the Olympics like I usually do every year. So I don't know if some of you guys feel the same way as I do about that. But Normally, I'm pretty pumped up. Listen, we got a few things we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, Simon Kimberg talking about the g- delays on Gambit. We're going to talk about Jimmy Smith is going to be appearing in Rogue One. We're going to take a bunch of your uh, email questions that you guys have sent in. So without any further ado, let's dive right into it. And the first thing I want to talk about here today is Simon Kimberg uh, was put on the spot again about the Gambit movie. Now, as long as you guys remember... There was a director attached, fell away. Then it was going into production. Then it wasn't going into production. Then, you know, Channing Tatum is definitely on board. And then, oh, then that report came out that Channing Tatum may not be on board now. And then all of a sudden he comes back, oh, no, no, I'm totally on board. And then there's a release date set for the movie. And then the release date was pulled. And not only was the release date pulled, they gave no other release date for it. So it's kind of Gambit has been sitting in limbo. And yet Fox and the producers have continued to insist that the movie is going to happen. We just have no idea what it's going to be at this point. If, you know, Channing Tatum is going to continue to be attached to it, I haven't heard anything to suggest otherwise. I'm just saying we haven't heard. Who is the director still going to direct it? I mean, really, we don't know. So Simon Kimberg, uh, who is kind of involved as a producer and writer on a lot of the Fox Marvel stuff and everything in Hollywood, it seems today, he was recently put on the spot again and they asked him, okay, why the delays? And his explanation was, to me, I'll be honest with you, I like Simon Kimberg a lot. If you guys have heard me talk about Simon, you know I'm a big fan of the guy. But his response was a little bit of a cop-out. Here's basically what he said. He said, we just got to get this script right. And then he used Deadpool as an example, as a comparative talking point. Because what he said was, look, when you look at Deadpool, that was a 10-year development for getting Deadpool just right. 
And Gambit, Simon Kimberg says, is also a very unique voice in the world of comic books. He's a very unique character. And much like Deadpool, who has a very unique voice in this world, needed a lot of time to develop the right script. We need that kind of time. He says, it's not going to be 10 years, don't get me wrong, but we need the right amount of time to get the script just right. And he says, we're almost there. Now, I, I think that's a... I think Simon Kimberg is saying what Simon Kimberg needs to say at this point. So I don't blame Simon Kimberg, but I also don't totally buy it because it's not like on Deadpool, they had writers locked away in a room for 10 years and it took them 10 years to come up with a good script. No, 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 no. And, and I'm sure like if, if you ask Simon Kimberg that directly, he'll admit that's not the case. So I, I don't really buy that. Also, Gambit had a lot of problems associated with it that Gambit doesn't necessarily have associated with it. And a lot of those 10 years, I'm sure, was just convincing Fox to do the film. So I, I'm i not really on board with Simon making it sound like, oh, you know, we had a director and writers locked away in a room for 10 years coming up with just the exact right script. Nah, that's not how it worked. And I'm sure that's not really how it's working with Gambit either. I mean, look, I've got no reason to not believe Simon when he says, we're just trying to get the script right. As a matter of fact, I believe that's probably 95% of the truth is that they do want to get the script right to the point where Channing Tatum feels good about it, to the point where the director feels good about it, to the point that Simon Kimberg feels good about it, and most importantly, to the point that Fox Studios feels good about it because they're the ones who got to cut the checks. They're the ones who have to greenlight this thing. And I'm sure at this point, they're kind of just waiting to have a script turned into them that they feel they can go full throttle on. Um, so anyway, Kimberg is saying they're close. Kimberg is saying we're really close on having the right script. He says he feels good about the script they have. They just need to fine tune it a bit. But look, if, if a year from now we're still wondering where's the Gambit movie, then that means they weren't close today. They're not like – if they're close, they should be ready to turn in a final – version of it and get the green line on it from Fox within the next month or two. If you're actually close, another month is probably all you need. But if we're still talking about this six months from now, if we're still talking about this like a year from now, then I personally don't buy that they're close at this point. And then maybe we have to question whether it's even an issue of the script. Like I'm not hearing, this is the part that concerns me a little bit. I'm not hearing anybody come out to re reassure anybody, hey, our director's still on board. I didn't hear some, now maybe he said that in another interview. And if he did, please somebody leave a comment, fire me off a tweet with a link to where Simon Kimberg says our director is definitely still on board. But as of right now, I haven't heard, I don't recall hearing that. I'm not hearing anybody coming out and say, hey, and Channing Tatum is still going to do this movie. Believe me, he's still going to do it. I'm not hearing anybody say that. Now, maybe Simon Kimberg did say that at some point. Maybe the producers did say that at some point. Again, if they did, can you please tweet me and tweet me a link to where they said that? Because I'd be very – and remember, it's got to be like within the last three or four months. It can't be two years ago because that doesn't count. Um, and so I, I've got my doubts about where they are. Look, I, look, if I had to put money on it, I would guess that the Gambit film is still going to happen. And I would guess that Channing Tatum is still going to be attached. And I'm going to guess that it'll probably be – probably go into production within the year and probably be released in 2018. But I'm not feeling 100% confident about that at this point. And to be honest with you, Simon Kimberg's comments don't really do anything to make me feel more assured that Gambit is in a good place right now. I, I don't feel really – I honestly, I don't feel more assured at this point. So, hey, take his comments as you will. Take my thoughts as you will. I still believe Gambit's going to happen. 
but I'm, I got to be honest with you guys. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if how, how legit this all really is. All right. Now, the next thing I want to talk about today is something I'm, we've talked about on Jedi Council. We knew it was a possibility and I'm kind of excited for it. Uh, actor Jimmy Smits, who of course played Bail Organa in the prequels. And I think he did his voice as well in a couple of things on a couple of the animated things. I could be wrong about that. Jimmy Smits has just confirmed that he does have a small part in Star Wars Rogue One. This is exciting to me. And the reason this is exciting to me is because, look, I don't like the idea of new Star Wars movies or any movie for that, for that matter. A movie that's a part, either a sequel or part of a franchise, just gratuitously throwing in bit cameos from characters that really have no place in this movie. Yes, I know they were in the previous movies, but they have no place in this movie. There's no reason for them to be there. And their presence just feels awkward and jarring. But as we've talked about on Jedi Council, the idea of Bail Organa, much like Darth Vader, Bail Organa, who is like one of the founding fathers of the rebellion. If you go into all the canon material, Bail Organa is one of the key absolute figures, right along with Mon Mothma. Bail Organa is one of the key figures in the origin and the launch of the rebellion. So if you're going to do a movie, Rogue One, about the early days of the rebellion and the rebels stealing the plans to the Death Star, it only makes sense that at some point you would see Bail Organa. It only makes sense that at some point you would see Darth Vader. A Bail Organa and Darth Vader appearances in this film would not feel forced. They would not feel awkward and would not make the, the, the story feel disjointed. As a matter of fact, the opposite, I believe, is correct. That if for Bail Organa, such a key central figure in the rebellion to not appear in Rogue One, I believe would feel weird. I, like it wouldn't be jarring to have him appear. I believe not having Bail Organa make an appearance would feel jarring. That would feel awkward. That would feel out of place. It would be like doing a movie about the Civil War and not having an, an appearance of, you know, of the, any one number of the, think, just name the big generals of the time or name the president of the time. Like it would just feel odd to not have certain figures at least have a presence in the movie. Okay, it would just feel odd to not have their presence in the movie. Even if you want to make the main story about something else, it's difficult to do a story about the Civil War without having certain people at least have an appearance or a presence. And I believe Bail Organa is one of these characters. Now, this is one of those really fortuitous moments where Bail Organa, Jimmy Smith has aged, but he's probably close aged perfectly along with how his character should have aged. They'll probably have to make him look a little bit older, but he's an older guy now than he was when he shot the prequels. So it makes sense that he would look older now. There's a number of years have passed between when, you know, the um, the Revenge of the Sith days happened, when the Jedi were wiped out, to the time when Rogue One happens. So you got a bunch of, so you're going to have to age him a little bit more than normal. But still, it's not like, oh no, we need a younger Bail Organa. No, no, no. You're in the fortuitous situation that you don't need a younger Bail Organa. You just need Bail Organa having aged up a bit. And Jimmy Smits can do that. So sign me up. I'm sure, you know, me and Christian 
and uh, and Mark and whoever else is on Jedi Council this week. I'm sure we're going to talk about this on Jedi Council. I'm very happy about the news. And you know, according to Smith, it's a small role. He even, I believe he even used the word cameo. So I, I don't mind. I don't mind if it's a small role as in he's in two or three scenes. I don't mind if it's a, just a cameo where he's in one scene. I'm just glad he's there because that will make it feel more authentic to me. Because that feels correct for the time. Understanding what we know about the rebellion and the people involved, it only makes sense to have a figure like Bail Organa there and present. So for me, personally, I'm on board with this. All right. So now with that out of the way, let's move on to some of the viewer emails. Guys, uh, as you know, if you would like to get a topic or a question brought up on the John Campia podcast, just email me. It's as simple as can be. Send in your question or topic to the John Campia podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's the John Campia podcast at gmail.com. Those questions come into me and maybe I'll pick your question to be a question or topic on the show. And I've got three of them pulled out today. And this first one is a long one. By the way, guys, do me a favor. I'm reading a bunch of questions that you guys send in and they're like paragraphs long. Too long, guys. Too long. Shorten up your emails that you send in because I don't want to spend like two minutes just reading your email on air, right? Shorten it up. Try to keep it to five, six lines if you can. So just try to shorten those things up. But anyway, this first one comes from Winnie. And Winnie Cooper writes, Hi, John. I wanted to get your unique perspective on an angle of the DC versus Marvel critical reception that I haven't heard anyone talking about specifically. And that is the critique slash audience approval ratings difference for Marvel and DC movies. Let me tell you what I mean. When you look at critics versus audience ratings on Rotten Tomatoes for Marvel films, they are pretty much in lockstep, with most of the films being 0 to 5% difference between the critics ratings and the audience ratings. In fact, in 13 movies, only one, Thor 2, has a double-digit difference of 12% for audiences. With Marvel movies averaging uh, plus 0.177% for audience, but the difference are drastic with the DC Cinematic Universe of 20% audience disapproval for Man of Steel, 38% for Batman vs. Superman, uh, and the date as of the date of this email, a whopping 47% in favor of Suicide Squad. That's an average of audience ratings being 35% higher for DC Cinematic Universes than the critic ratings. Meaning that critics like Marvel movies on average almost as often as audiences, but like DC Cinematic Universe movies far, far less than audiences. So the question is, why? Are critics being unusually harsh on the DC Cinematic Universe movies or are audiences just more forgiving of the films? All right, well, thanks a lot for the question, uh, Winnie. And this is a fair question, and it goes back to something I talk about every once in a while, and nobody likes that I say this, but I'm not here to say what you want me to say. You guys don't listen to me just to say what you already agree with. You want to hear what I think about it, and for good, sometimes you'll agree with it, sometimes you'll disagree with it, and that's the fun part. So I'm never going to come on the show and just say what is popular or what people want me, want me to say, unless it's actually what I think. So here's the thing. It is true. That when you look at the Marvel Universe films versus, say, the DC Cinematic Universe films, that with the Marvel films, the critic rating and the audience ratings, the, I should, let me specify this, the Rotten Tomatoes audience ratings. So the Rotten Tomatoes critic ratings and the Rotten Tomatoes audience ratings are usually very, very similar to each other. Like when he pointed out, they're usually between zero and 5% difference from each other. That's basically identical. 
So when you look at the Marvel films, the Marvel films uh, critic rating and the Marvel films Rotten Tomatoes audience rating are practically similar. They're practically identical. However, when you look at the DC cinematic films, and by the way, not including the Christopher Nolan Batman films. This is only Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, and uh, Suicide Squad. There is a much greater disparity between the critic rating and the audience ratings. All right? There's a much greater disparity. Average like 30% difference. Whereas like there will be like a 27% critic rating on Batman versus Superman, but like a 65% audience rating. So like a huge difference, right? This goes back to one thing I always say, and I I say this about the IMDb ratings as well, but it, the same goes true for the Rotten Tomato audience rating, and that is this. Pay absolutely zero attention to audience ratings, except for verified studio-provided test audience reaction ratings. Other than those, other than verified studio test screening audience reactions, ignore audience ra- ratings. Why? Uh, let me give you a couple examples of why you should ignore, completely ignore. Never even give a second thought to either IMDb audience ratings or Rotten Tomato audience ratings. And here's why. There's a couple of reasons, but one of the biggest ones is this. Anybody can leave a rating without having seen the movie. You don't have to have seen the movie to go in there and leave a rating. One of the greatest examples of this is like recently Ghostbusters, right? Ghostbusters got a 73% um, critic rating. Might have dropped down to 72, but it's it's over 70%. But what happened was there was an organized, and this isn't some lunatic conspiracy theory. Like remember when, um, what's her name? Grace Randolph was saying, there is a conspiracy amongst film. No, 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 no. This is a real thing. There was an organized thing. You could go to their websites and their pages on Reddit and everything and see where there, there, there were groups of people organizing to downvote not just Ghostbusters the movie, but downvote any positive reviews of Ghostbusters. Okay? And a lot of them came to my page. Like a lot of them came to my YouTube channel. Like I put up my review of Ghostbusters. Hey, I'm just going to give you my honest opinion. I thought Ghostbusters had a lot of problems, but overall it was, it was quite enjoyable. It was good. I, I even say it's better than Ghostbusters 2, for heaven's sakes. Don't pretend like it's not. It's all opinion. I mean, it's, it's all film is subjective, but to me, oh my God, like ghost, the new Ghostbusters was much better than Ghostbusters 2. Not that Ghostbusters 2 is the standard of excellence by any stretch of the imagination. But here's the thing. Before the movie even came out, right, I had put up my review. The movie had not come out yet, and I had over a 1,000 dislikes on my review. A 1,000 dislikes on my review. Ain't none of those people saw the movie. None of those people saw the movie. Maybe 1% of them did. Maybe 1%. But those people hadn't seen the movie. They had just decided we hate what they're doing with the news Ghostbusters and we hated the trailers. And my God, the trailers were awful for Ghostbusters. But, and they decided they were going to organize on Reddit and they did. And they were going to go out and downvote any positive reviews and they were going to go to IMDb and they're going to go to Rotten Tomatoes and they were going to downvote, 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 downvote. So that's the big problem with these quote unquote audience ratings is that there is no way to verify any of these people had actually seen the movie. Here's a great example of this on the Rotten Tomatoes, or not on Rotten Tomatoes, but on IMDb. And some of you will remember this. When The Dark Knight uh, came out, 
the second Christopher Nolan Batman film. Absolutely brilliant. Some people think it's the greatest comic book movie ever made. At the time, there became an organized effort to get The Dark Knight as the number one fan-rated movie on IMDb. So they were getting people to go up there and just go there and 10, 10, 10, hit 10 stars. Everybody go, go to the IMDb page and hit 10 stars, 10 stars, 10 stars. The problem was that it wasn't going to catch the Godfather. So what these groups did was they also organized, okay, everybody go to the Godfather page on IMDb and click zero, 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 zero. We got to knock down the Godfather so we can bring up the Dark Knight and I mean, these morons, 90% of them have never seen The Godfather. And don't pretend. Come on. No, don't pretend. Like, The Dark Knight is awesome. I love it. Don't pretend it's as good as The Godfather, for heaven's sakes. It's not. Everything's opinion. But from my point of view, don't even pretend. But you can do that on this fan rating thing. You can go in there and organize people to upvote things they've never seen, get people to downvote things they've never seen, and ultimately it doesn't make any difference. So I would say just don't. Now, going back to Ghostbusters, the verified test screening audience reaction, Ghostbusters got a B+. These were people, these are ratings based on people who actually saw and were verified that they saw advanced screenings. And they got their reactions coming out to see how the film was going to score. And to the audiences that saw advanced screenings of Ghostbusters, the verified audiences that got to go see Ghostbusters got a B plus. That's right in line with where the critic rating is for it. That's 72, 73%. That's, that's pretty much right in line with where it should be. But you go to the Rotten Tomatoes score, you go to IMDb. And you, you get these organized efforts to downvote, 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 upvote. Now, so that's problem number one. Problem number two is you've heard me talk about this. We live in the 10 generation where people, if something is good and they like it, it's 10. Everything's 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. And if like, I, I, I like, I had such frustration with this because I would give something a 7.5, right? To me, if you know how I used to score movies, a 7.5 from me meant I really enjoyed the film. I really enjoyed it. But I'd get something a 7.5 and be like, why did you hate it? You hated it. Why didn't you give it a 10? Because because like today, it's the 10 generation. Nobody knows how to think anymore. It's the 10 generation. 10, 10, 10, 10. And if you don't like the film, zero, 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 zero. And so because that's the mentality of so many people out there, I don't trust audience ratings that aren't verified. I just don't trust it. It's like, okay, you saw, I don't know, you saw Zootopia and you liked it. But it's not a 10 movie, but so many people, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. It's like, ah, oh, come on, come on. Or then the opposite. Some people didn't like Zootopia. So to counter those people putting 10s, I'm going to say zero, 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 zero. Come on. No matter how much you dislike Zootopia, it's not a zero. Come on. So any of that's that's the second thing. Thing number one, you can never verify who's seen the movie or not with fan ratings. Thing number two, you got a lot of people who have no idea how to rate movies. So it's everything's either 10 or zero. And that throws off any any kind of legitimate, honest scoring system. And the third thing is this. People who go to see certain movies are usually predisposed to liking those movies. Like, you're not going to get somebody who hates comic book movies going to see Avengers Age of Ultron. You're not going to get people who hate comic book movies going to see Suicide Squad. 
So what you normally end up getting is people who are predisposed to liking comic book movies are going to go see Avengers Age of Ultron. They're the ones who are going to go see um, Suicide Squad. So you have to assume for genre-specific films like this that there's going to be a predisposed thing to liking it because these are the people who like that. They're not going in objectively per se because we are – look, and we all have part of this. We're, we all are predisposed to liking certain things, not liking certain things. That's That's just normal human nature. So it's not surprising that with comic book films, you're not going to get a lot of people who aren't predisposed to liking comic book films going to comic book films. So you generally get the ratings of the people who do like comic book films and that will please them easier than it will other people. That's that's fine. That's no, nothing wrong with that. But here's a great example. There's a documentary out right now that I saw. That, oh my goodness, it is like one of the worst pieces of trash I, I had ever seen. It's called Hillary's America, okay? And basically, it's a right wing, and hey, the left wing does this too. Let's not kid ourselves. I'm just talking about this because it's out right now, okay? So there's this documentary called Hillary's America, uh, the the secrets of the Democratic Party or something like that. And basically, it's a right-wing hatchet job that just, just attacks anything Hillary Clinton and attacks anything the Democratic Party. Of course, it's coming out during a presidential race. Anyway, it is a terribly made documentary. Forget the fact – forget whichever political party you associate yourself with. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you're left or right, center or whatever. I don't care. It's a terribly made documentary that had no – even remote attempt at showing two sides to the story or anything like that. And it's just, but it's just, forget all of that. Forget all of it. It's just a bad documentary. It's a badly put together documentary. And it's got like a 2% therefore. It's got like a 2% critic rating. Now say we want about Michael Moore and his obvious left-wing bias. He's obviously Michael Moore is super left-wing bias. I don't take anything Michael Moore says seriously. I don't take anything he says seriously because he's so obviously blatantly left-wing bias. He doesn't even hide it. He's, he's very open about it. But from a structural point of view, he puts together quality documentaries. Whether you agree or disagree with where he goes with it, that's totally different. But he puts he, – he's a skilled documentarian filmmaker. At the end of the day, he's a skilled documentary filmmaker. He is. He's good at it. Whether or not you like what he says, completely different. Whether or not he's completely slanted and I have my problems with him because of that, yes. But he makes well-put-together documentaries. Now, the thing is, this this Hillary's America is a terrible, terrible example of a documentary and how it's put together. But here's the question. Talking about fan ratings. Who's going to see an anti-Hillary, anti-Democrat documentary? You think doc, Do you think Democrats are going to go see that? Do you think left-wing political people are going to go see that movie? No. Who's going to see that movie? Republicans, right-wing people are going to go see that movie. Just like the opposite is true for like a Michael Moore film. Ain't a lot of Republicans going to go see Michael Moore film. Oh, but the liberals love going to see Michael Moore films, right? It's true on both sides. So what happens? The last time I checked, which was yesterday, Hillary's America has a 2% critic rating because it's terrible. It's just awful. Doesn't matter what you agree with or disagree with. As a documentary, it's a terrible film. But because it's all Republicans going to go see it, it has an 84% audience rating. Why? Because the movie is saying what they want to hear. Same is true for the left-wing documentaries. But I'm, we're just talking about this example right now. 
it's clearly made to pander to the to the people who lean right. Maybe they would vote Republican, whatever. And so those people are the ones who are seeing the movie, the ones who are predisposed to liking whatever the message is in the movie, and they're going to upvote it. So look, there's just a couple of examples of why I never pay any attention at all to fan ratings. Sometimes I'll pull one out because it's an interesting number. But honestly, Rotten Tomatoes fan ratings, they just ignore them. Really just ignore them. IMDb fan ratings, not worth the paper they're printed on. And they're not even printed on paper. I mean, they're not worth it because of all these gaping massive holes in how the system is gamed. Whereas at least with the critic reviews, these are people who are professionals this is what they do for a living. You know, they saw the film and they're just telling you what they thought about it. It doesn't make their reviews any better, or any worse than anybody else's. You just know that these people did see the films in advance because of press screenings. They write about these films for a living. They, and they're just going to give you their honest opinion, whether they liked it or they didn't like it. And at least then when you know that when you see a rating, that's like a, a critic rating, it doesn't mean you're going to agree with the critics, not at all, but at least, you know, these people saw the movie and they're just telling us what they think. That doesn't mean it's going to line up and agree with what you think. And that's fine. That's the subjectivity of film, but at least, you know, the numbers you're getting there are legit. So, and look, I'm going to call it right now. I love Christopher Nolan's um, Batman trilogy. I wasn't super thrilled with the third film, but I liked it. The other two were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, I'm one of the few people in the world that I think Man of Steel is a masterpiece, like not just a good movie, a brilliant movie. And I think people need to watch that movie more to really get how much brilliance is in that film. I love Man of Steel. And I gave a positive review to Batman versus Superman. Didn't love it. But I gave a positive review to Batman vs Superman. I also give a positive review to Suicide Squad. Although, you know, the movie's a hot mess, but there's enough in there for me to like it. But end of the day, uh, look, everything is subjective and it's all from your point of view. So this is just coming from my point of view, okay? At the end of the day, I'm sorry, Marvel films are just better. They are. Marvel films are just as a whole, on whole, are just better than what we've been getting from DC lately. Just better than what we've been getting from DC lately. Like I'm, I'm sorry. Look, I gave a positive review to Batman vs Superman. I like the film. I gave a positive review to Suicide Squad. I like the film. But for heaven's sakes, Ant Man, Ant Man is better than Batman vs Superman. I'm sorry, it is. It's a more entertaining film. It's better structured. It has better narrative flow to it. it has more developed characters in it. And, and Ant-Man is better than Suicide Squad. Sorry, it is. You may feel differently. That's cool. But this is coming from my perspective. And from my perspective, I'm sorry. Ant-Man, for heaven's sakes, is better than those films. Guardians of the Galaxy is better than those films. Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron is better than Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad. They, they just are. So why are the critic ratings and audience ratings such a gap? Well, we talked about the audience ratings. Uh, the critic ratings are lower because the DC films aren't as good. Now, I believe Man of Steel should have got rated a lot higher. That's my opinion. There it is. Take it for what it's worth. But as a whole, you know, Marvel films are better. So, uh, I, and you know me, I am neither. I am both, I should say. I am both a complete DC fanboy and a complete Marvel fanboy. I am a huge fanboy of both of these properties. But as of right now, Marvel is putting out the better product. So if you want to look for, everybody's looking for reasons. Why is this happening? Why, why, why? 
Look, guys, it's the simplest answer because the movies aren't great. You know, I read on my Facebook post the other day, I said, the problem isn't that critics are giving D- DC films, in particular to Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad. The problem is not that critics are giving like uh, negative reviews to these films. The problem is that DC is not making these movies good enough to win them over. That's the problem. You can all you want try to look for hidden agendas and search for biases and, and search for ulterior motives. Okay, you can do all that, but I'm sorry. The simplest answer is usually the correct one. And the simplest answer here is because, hey, the last couple of DC movies haven't been all that good. I'll stick up for them. I'll defend them. But they're also bad enough that I can totally understand why a lot of other critics didn't like the film. So – I mean, there you go. Anyway, uh, I got to fly through these next couple of questions. The next question comes from uh, Itamar and Itamar writes, hi, John, about Suicide Squad. Everybody wants to talk about Suicide Squad right now, which is totally understandable. Um, about Suicide Squad, first of all, I didn't like the movie. Well, you're not alone, Itamar. Uh, the bad stuff was just too much for me. But my question is, don't you feel this movie was supposed to be R-rated? The entire time, it just felt weird that these that these groups of psychopaths and bad guys never cursed once. Felt out of character for them. I feel this should have been an R-rated movie, not just because of the R, but just like Deadpool, an R rating would fit these characters and the story would have been way cooler. Um, well, Itamar, first of all, you're not alone that you didn't like the film. I've been in with a couple of audiences now, and both times... I had either people sitting beside me or in front of me grumbling how much they were hating it. And I had people sitting on the opposite sides of me liking it. I mean, so it's mixed. So don't feel bad that you didn't like the film. Should Suicide Squad have been rated R? I don't know. First of all, you're wrong when you say that none of the characters swear once. There is swearing in the film. Um, Harley Quinn swears a number of times in the film, as a matter of fact. Not a lot of F-bombs being dropped, but whatever. Would somebody dropping more f bombs make the film cooler? No, no, that that's that's not that's not good thinking. I I just don't agree with that. Now, fuck it, you know me, I fucking love fucking swearing. Who the fuck cares? I love swearing. It doesn't bother me. But to say swearing makes it cooler, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Swearing does not make it cooler. I but I do think you're onto something though when you say that it would feel more in step with some of these characters, understanding who some of these characters are, if there was more swearing. On that level, I kind of agree with you. But let's be honest here. If Deadshot had dropped three or four more F-bombs, it wouldn't have made the movie any better. I mean, it would have made a little bit more sense because this character probably would say something like that, but it's not like it detracted from the movie that he didn't drop more F-bombs. Dropping more F-bombs wouldn't have taken it from a 7 to a 9. You know what I mean? It it really wouldn't have made that much of a difference to me. Um, now, I, But I will basically agree with you in the sense that, yeah, I, the, understanding the kind of movie that Deadpool is, or sorry, that, uh, that Deadpool, understanding the kind of movie that Suicide Squad is, yeah, this is one you probably, you could have gone R-rated, but honestly, I, I enjoyed it anyway without it being R. I don't think it being R would have made me enjoy it any more or any less. But I, in principle, I agree with you. This is one that they probably could have looked at made, making rated R. But I honestly don't know that it would have made any difference to the overall quality of the film, to how much certain people did or didn't like it. I don't think it really had that big of an impact. And like I said, there is a good amount of swearing in it, just not a lot of F-bombs uh, being dropped all over the place. So there you go with that. That's just That's just my two cents worth. 
All right. Final question of the day, because we're already over a half hour. Uh, this one comes from uh, Ben Rayner. And Ben Rayner writes, big fan here. Oh, thank you so much, Ben. And I respect your opinion very much. I have seen Suicide Squad already and I really enjoyed it. See, there you go, right? The previous <laughs> writer hated it. This writer loves it. I mean, that's completely indicative of everybody <laughs> with Suicide Squad. Anyway, uh, I've seen Suicide Squad and I really, really enjoyed it. Anyway, my question is, do you think that critics subconsciously review DC movies harsher than Marvel movies? I'm not even saying they do it on purpose or even are aware that they're doing it. I'm just wondering if Suicide Squad movie comes out under the Marvel name. I wonder if it would have been getting slightly higher reviews. I'm very curious to hear thoughts and I'm loving the podcast. So thanks a lot, Ben. And look, if you've been listening to the earlier part of the podcast, you already know what I'm going to say to this. No, it would have made any difference. Look, I everybody likes to speculate about film critics that they don't know. I know most of these guys. These, the, I know most of these men and women who are these film critics that everybody's talking about. And I can tell you, everybody goes into these movies wanting to like these movies. That is one, like every film critic is totally different from the other, right? Cause like the schmoes know who are Rotten Tomato film critics. I mean, th- their reviews go on Rotten Tomatoes too. The schmoes know guys, Christian and Mark, what is similar between them and Ben Lyons? Nothing. What is similar between them and uh, Leonard Malton? Nothing is similar between those two. Yet they're both film critics. They're two totally different people with totally different perspective, totally different preferences, all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that all these people I know have in common is that they don't want to waste two hours of their time. They want to enjoy the movies they got to go see. And they go in wanting to like these films. Sorry, you can say, no, they don't. But guess what? I know them. You don't. So there you go. Um, Yes, they do. They go in wanting to like these movies. They go into every movie they see hoping that they enjoy it. Because why would you want to go into to, to something that you're not going to enjoy? They want to enjoy it. And they don't care. They simply do not care if something comes under the banner of Marvel, DC, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Disney, Lionsgate. Don't matter to them. All they care about is... Are you about to show me a good movie? That's all they care about. Now, they may go in with higher expectations. Like, hey, this studio just gave me three films in a row that I didn't like, whereas this studio just gave me five films in a row I did like. So when they go into that studio's movies, they may have higher expectations. But for the most part, they check it out the door and then they watch the movie and then they tell you what they thought about the movie. That's all there is to it. And like I said earlier... The the real the basic thing here is this. Look, I like Suicide Squad, but it that movie is a bloody hot mess. Its story is basically non-existent. It has no narrative flow whatsoever. Um and it's just a very very messy film. Now there was enough elements there that made me go, oh, "I still had a good time." But I can totally see why somebody else wouldn't have had a good time. And look, let's not hyper exaggerate that all the critics hated Suicide. No, they didn't. Roughly, if you get four movie critics together, roughly one out of four like the movie. If you put, so if you put four movie critics in this room right now, the average says at least one of them liked it. And three of them didn't. That's what 26% means. It means one out of every four critic actually did like the film. And I'm one of those guys. I'm one out of the one out of four. That's who I am. But even though I liked it and gave it a positive review, come on, don't look me in the face and say it didn't have massive problems. Now you can say, well, well, this is what I always get from some people. Well, you know, um, Avengers had problems too, but they gave it a good review. Yeah, it had problems too, but they weren't nearly as horrible and they weren't nearly as egregious. 
and they weren't done nearly as badly as they were in this film. Therefore, the critics rated it much higher. I mean, it's just the way it is. Again, no, like Ben, I got to tell you, I don't think there is any, there is no subconscious bias against DC films. Sorry, I'm somebody who likes Marvel films. I like DC films. You know, I've given positive reviews. Well, I call Man of Steel a masterpiece. I gave positive review to Batman vs Superman. I give a positive review to Suicide Squad. But I'm going to look you in the face and tell you Marvel's just making better films. And DC is making films right now that are bad enough that there is, it's completely understandable that critics, some critics wouldn't like it. Even the majority of critics wouldn't like it. I watched Suicide Squad and had, I had fun, but I walked up going, but I could totally see how the majority of critics won't like this because, you know, because of all the negative things about it. It worked for me, but we're all unique. Maybe it worked for you, but you got to understand why it didn't work for some other people. And look, I'm going to tell you right now, DC, who I am cheering for harder than you possibly know, they just made $135 million opening weekend with, with Suicide Squad, which is fantastic. But DC's got to start making better movies. They have to start making better movies. We as fans need them to start making these movies better than they are. Because if they don't, like I honestly, I don't know what the response is going to be to Wonder Woman at this point. Opening weekend. There are a lot of people, maybe all your friends like Suicide Squad, but I'm telling you, I've been to a number of theaters now watching Suicide Squad and the audience coming out is always mixed, sometimes more negative than positive. And so they're, Warner Brothers is not winning people over with these movies. They've got to do a better job with these films. We need them to. We deserve them to do a better job with these films. There was enough good stuff in Suicide Squad that that movie deserved to have everything else in it a lot better than it was. So anyway, that's just my thoughts on it. On it. So that'll do it for me, guys. Uh, I'm getting close to the 40-minute mark here. That'll do it for this installment of the John Campy Podcast. My next installment will, of course, be Wednesday, August the 10th. So come on back for that. Uh, again, if you want to get a question or topic brought up or you have some thoughts you want to share, email them to me at thejohncampypodcast at gmail.com. Remember, try to keep those emails short. That increases your chances of getting it on the show. And also, don't forget, if you're listening to this podcast, whether it's on iTunes or not, do me a favor, open up iTunes and rate and leave a comment on the John Campion podcast. Find the John Campion podcast on iTunes, leave a rating, like a star rating, and then leave a comment. That helps me out a great deal. Uh, make sure you follow me on Facebook and on Twitter at John Campion because I'm always talking every day on my social media channels. And make sure you check out Jedi Council that I'm on later this week on Collider Video as well as Collider Heroes. Check that out as well. And uh, yeah, make sure you check out and you subscribe to the new Comic-Con HQ channel. Just go to www.comic-conhq.com and that is where my new show, Film HQ Lives. Me and John Schnepp do a show there. It is simply the best movie magazine show in the world, I personally think. Obviously, I'm biased, but that's what I think. Um, so go check us out there. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for joining me for the John Campia Podcast. My name is John Campia, and until next time, bye-bye. Ladies, at Essential Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here, we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essential Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more.